Hi, and thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, State Clerk of the EPC. The motto of our family of congregations is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you so much, Rachel Joseph. Appreciate your introduction as always. And thank you to those of you who have tuned in to another edition of In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's great to have you along for the conversation as a part of the conversation and to contribute to the conversation. And one of the ways in which people do that is by liking us on social media, sharing us, spreading the word with others so that that conversation could expand. It focuses initially on the EPC, but we are grateful to have people listening in who are any place across the United States or around the world. In fact, we have a a decent listening audience from all over the globe who tune in to hear some great conversations around the church, best practices. We talk to authors, we talk to church planters, as we are going to today, theologians, we talk to pastors, author, you know, a whole variety of people. And a lot of times those conversations are EPC specific, and that's one of those conversations that we're going to have today. But uh, even if you're not in the EPC and you listen in, there's leadership principles and ideas. There's things that you're going to glean from these conversations that I think will be an encouragement to you that you want to pass on to others. And speaking of which, our guest today is Dave Strunk. He has not only been a member of the national leadership team of the EPC for the last four years, but he is on the church planting leadership team as he himself is a church planter, the founding pastor of the Church of the Redeemer in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he's been doing that for about six and a half years and has become a dear friend and a great leader and churchman in the EPC. So Dave, welcome to In All Things. Glad to be here, Dean. And uh, I'd like to add a few more committees to my resume in the next few years if I can. That is one of the things I love about Dave is he's a, he's a consummate churchman. He cares deeply about the bride of Christ and the church, both locally and how we connect with one another and best practices and resource one another, which is a huge gift to me and to all of us in the EPC. And so today's EPC uh, In All Things podcast is brought to you by our gospel priority of church planning. And that gospel priority of church planting is in an interesting and creative, fun stage as the leadership team that Dave is a part of is beginning to kind of expand into regional networks where we will have regional coordinators coming alongside of multiple presbyteries to help plant churches all across the United States. About 8% of our churches right now in the EPC are church plants. And we'd love to see that number get up closer to 10%, a good tithe of church plants out there in the EPC. And that's going to take every one of our congregations to be a a partner, a patron, or a parent, uh, perhaps. And I think there's a fourth P that we don't often add in there, and that is to pray. And perhaps if nothing else, if you're not involved in church planning, would you be committed to praying? Uh, Adopt a church plant, one of those uh, 54 to 60 church plants, maybe one close to you, and just simply pray for them every week. In particular, pray for the planter, and even more particularly, pray for the planter's family, because church planting is tough business, and the effects can be most readily experienced by the family. And so if you would be committed to praying for our church planners, particularly their families, that itself might be the gift that God is asking of you as a part of the EPC. And if you're not a part of the EPC, hey, there's a church plant near you too. 
that could probably use your prayers and your love as well. So it's probably one of the most important ways in which the gospel spreads throughout the course of the, the kingdom advance, whether it's domestically or internationally, is through the planting of new churches. And they come in all shapes and sizes and demographic backgrounds and contexts, but yet the kingdom of God expands when the church of Jesus Christ is on the march. And so please, would you commit yourself to supporting in some way the church planting gospel priority in the EPC? Okay, so let's turn now uh, to the subject at hand as Dave is a church planner himself, but help our audience, Dave, to get to know you a little bit. You grew up in Knoxville and you're a UT guy, right? Mm -hmm. Go boss. There you go. Okay. Tell us a little bit about how you got the call into ministry and how you landed back in Knoxville and all that kind of good stuff. I grew up in a Christian home and my parents are still faithful believers. Uh, The first time in their lives, they have not gone to a Baptist church is when we planted our church and they decided to help us out. I felt called to ministry when I was 17. It was after my junior year in high school, and I was on a mission trip to help with low-income housing in the Chicago area, and it was in one of the worship services that night where I had this very overwhelming semi-Damascus Road experience, you might say, and I just knew God was calling me to pastoral ministry. That was just an original thought in my brain that it did not come from me. It was an aha moment like that. You didn't literally go blind, but you had sight that you didn't see have before. Uh, 100%. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And I couldn't think of anything else I wanted to do with my life. I came home and started telling some people about a month later going, I have this experience and I can't shake it. And uh, I tell my dad and my dad goes, yeah, I, I kind of felt like God told me that when you were nine but you're supposed to figure that out for yourself. And then I told my grandmother and she said, oh good. I was 17 at the time. And she said, oh good. I've been praying for 25 years for someone in your generation of our family to be called uh, ministry. Mm. I said, why? why? And she goes, well, you would make the fifth generation in a row of someone in pastoral ministry. The on my prayers dance. of a righteous grandmother availeth much. Amen. Yeah. So that's when I started believing in predestination. And <laughs> Thus, thus begins the journey of Reformed theology, right? Amen. Yeah, even though I grew up Baptist. From then on out, I knew I was going to go to seminary. And so I wanted to go to a, not a Christian a specific college, went to University of Tennessee, played in the marching band. Go Vols. Go Vols. And then eventually went to Denver Seminary. My wife and I, grad, or when we graduated from the University of Tennessee, we immediately got married, moved to Denver. So you went to a Baptist seminary. That Baptist thing was still in you. Well, it was founded as a Baptist seminary, but in 97, I think it dropped its Baptist affiliation and became just a interdenominational, you know, evangelical seminary. Okay. Uh, But from there, because my wife grew up at Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church in Knoxville, which is EPC, we moved to Denver and found a bunch of EPC churches. We have a lot of them in Denver. Yes, indeed. So Shout, shout out to our Denver mafia. That's right. So we ended up at Cherry Creek Pres. All 10 years we lived in Colorado. Okay. Cherry Creek is an amazing church with a great history and wonderful leadership. And the fact that you've come through that pipeline is, is no surprise to anybody. But you landed yourself back in Knoxville, which is where you're from. How did that happen? After about seven or eight years in Colorado, my wife and I were both feeling this tug to move somewhere back within a day's drive of our families. All of our siblings, all of our parents lived in Knoxville. I also felt called to the EPC. Other churches, other denominations had at least inquired, would you be willing to check out this Anglican church or this PCA church, whatever? I just felt like the EPC was my tribe, but that also meant that that limited my options to ever getting back near home again until the 2015 General Assembly, where I started talking with some of the leadership at Cedar Springs. 
And I just asked them, what's the latest that's going on there? And they said, you know, we're really feeling compelled to plant churches regionally again. Of course, Cedar Springs is involved all over internationally in church planning. But they yeah, said, it's one of the great churches in the EPC or really anywhere in the United States. I mean, that church's history of missions and their involvement in their community. I mean, it's super thoughtful. I mean, really yes. well thought out, deep, substantive, good mission, great history. Love that place. Yeah, Cedar Springs nails mission very much so. Yep. So when they said they wanted to plant regional churches again as an evangelism strategy, that just stuck with me. About a month after that, it had stuck with me so much. I mean, not very many people do this, but at the time, Brad Strait was my boss and I said, hey, this is really sticking with me. I think I need to, I think I need to apply to this. So before I'd ever applied or before I didn't give a notice, I'd walk that whole journey with Brad and he goes, I, I can see that the Lord might be in this. So let's, let's pursue that road. And so then I went through a whole search process with them. I got a church planning assessment and all this. And ultimately we got called in February of 2016 and moved in July of 2016 to okay. plant the church. You mentioned the church planning assessment. For those who are involved in church planning, that's sort of like a, you know, a well-understood thing. But for those who may not be familiar with church planting, could you describe for people what an assessment actually is and does? It's really important in the church planning ecosystem because the most important variable to a success of a church plant is the competencies and emotional and spiritual health of the church planner and the church planner's spouse. And the spouse. That's a big one, isn't it? Yes. And so any good assessment worth its salt will invite the spouse as well. Uh, you have to have six references that speak into your life and that get reviewed by people who have done church planning, get reviewed by therapists, get reviewed by a lot of people. You get tested on a lot of things, including preaching and evangelism skills. And then they kind of give you a roadmap for, here's where you're going to be good in church planning. Here's where you're going to struggle. And then you get a grade. So yeah, you're ready to plant right away. You need another couple years or- This is on top of being ordained and going through the the ordination exams and the whole process of ordination to become a teaching elder. Correct. You might say the, the particular subset of ordained teaching elders or pastors in our parlance that are called to church planning have that entrepreneurial bent. Yeah. But generally people with an entrepreneurial bent don't tend to spend a lot of times on their own personal health. Mm. So that's where that assessment becomes really critical because you can see those blind spots before you get into a very stressful environment. And hopefully help put you on a path of health so that you can plan a church because a healthy church planner typically plants a healthy church. Yeah, <laughs> An well, unhealthy church planner, you can really have some major problems and disasters. Yeah. Well, at least that's the idea, right? That's, that's the concept. <laughs> that's the concept. Now that I'm six and a half years in, I'm starting to realize what the flaws of the church are and they happen to be my flaws. Yeah. I, I hate it when that happens. Yeah. You look in the mirror and you go, oh, nuts, it's me. What would you want people in established churches who are listening in who are, maybe don't have a lot of exposure to church plants? What, what are the couple of things that you would want them to know? about church planning that is, say, different from a, an established church? And church planning is a good evangelism strategy. There's lots of good ways to do evangelism. We, you know, we promote three circles, and any church, even in revitalization mode, can get better at evangelism. But there's probably a natural sociological component to church planning which makes it effective, which is if you have an entrepreneurial person who's gathered a group of people even though there are lots of different models for church planting, generally that group of people is just going to be really excited about what they're doing and they're going to invite people into it. And so church planting tends to be this natural place where people who are skeptical of church or maybe they're de-churched, they have church somewhere in their background, but they have been distant from the church for some time. 
or they're unchurched, but they're willing to ask spiritual questions. A church plant tends to be a safe place to jump on board. And generally, there's a debate in the church planting community of how long that kind of early season in the life of a church lasts. We only got two and a half years before COVID hit. So I sometimes felt robbed by that early season. Mm. But some people say anywhere between three and seven years, this new thing that's happening is a naturally attractive place Mm. and a relational place to invite those people in that just would never darken the door of a traditional church. And I, and I don't mean traditional in the sense of like hymns and a choir. I just mean traditional in the sense of it's established and it's been there for a couple of generations. Brick and mortar even. I yeah. mean, it's just a, you know, the church on the corner, whatever the worship style might be. Correct. Yeah. There's a lot of different types of church plants. Could you just give us a quick survey across the landscape of church planting? Cause I think a lot of people when they think of church planting, think of the parent child relationship. You know, you got a, mm-hmm. a church like Cedar Springs that has resources and they decide to strategically look in an area and they hire a church planner and that still happens. But there's a number of other approaches to church planning. And I think we've reached a day when there's really no one size that fits all, right? Yeah, I'm definitely in all of the above approach. And it really just matters about context and desired people you're trying to reach. We've got a guy in Chattanooga who's doing a missional community thing, and he's trying to do it out of his house and eventually create a series of house churches that really just shares centralized worship, but mission is at the neighborhood level and youth group is at the neighborhood level. There's a guy in Austin, Texas, who's doing a bivocational thing. He, he started a brewery. He also has a group of people he's meeting with as a part of the church. That's another model. There's small launch models. There's large launch models. I was probably more of a traditional parent church to a large launch model. We took about 40 adults with us from Cedar Springs into an adjacent community about 30 minutes away. Those are just a smattering of different models of church planning. So the EPC in our church planning more recently has been focusing in on reaching communities in particular that are more difficult to reach or under-resourced communities, as some might refer to it. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit to the vision behind why it is that we would be more, not that we wouldn't be open to church plants, any place where the church planner feels called and there's room and space for the gospel to advance. But why focus our attention on underserved communities, under-resourced communities? Well, I mean, historically, just Presbyterianism hasn't been very good at that, right? But that's what America looks like. I'm fully behind what our Revelation 7-9 task force has been about for several years now, which is we. this is what America looks like. This is what we want our denomination looks like because this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like at the end of time, those people need Jesus too, wherever those people are, however we would define them of different ethnicities, different incomes, different socioeconomic backgrounds. And generally Presbyterianism in America has been a little more historically middle class. Yeah. Some of that passion really doesn't come from, I can't speak that I'm, I'm like a big driver of this, but some of our more exciting leaders in the EPC and in the church planning world just really push this it's important to them because everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Let's, uh, let's turn the corner a little bit and, cha- and move the conversation in the direction of the national leadership team because you've been on the NLT now for four years. And I think one of the gifts that you brought to the NLT is the entrepreneurial approach of a church planner. And we've benefited from having that voice at the table in terms of if we're going to be a denomination that really wants to be a church planting movement, having leaders around the table who think that way, are passionate that way. So that has been a huge blessing to us in terms of the national leadership team. But what would you want people listening in to know about the national leadership team? 
Well, here's a couple of the talking points, and I promise Dean and I did not talk about this beforehand, but they're talking points I believe in, which is that the NLT is not a court of the church. It's not a decision-making body, but it is the body that receives and offers matters to the General Assembly in between meetings. So it is important from a, a business standpoint. It's made up of 12 people that are half ruling elders, half teaching elders, in addition to the three moderators, the outgoing moderator, current moderator, and moderator elect. It's just a good-hearted group of people. It's just people who care about the EPC. And as a result, it really is one of those rare committees where people stack hands and are really about not their own personal agenda. And as a result of that, though, the composition of the committee changes by four members every year, effectively, that ethos has remained in all four of my years there where people just want to pray for each other. People like downtime with each other. There's no smoke-filled back room where people are like, there's just puppet masters. It's just a good-hearted group of people who are trying to do the best for the EPC. And, and so I would just, if there were any mysticism or skepticism about, you know, what's going on in the NLT, it's, it's really not that complex. It's just people listening for the voice of Christ as king of the church. I served on what was the COA, the Committee on Administration, that became the NLT. So the COA is the predecessor to the NLT. And I remember walking into the room for the very first time and looking around the room and I felt so intimidated. I felt like, oh my gosh, somebody made really a poor judgment that put me in this room because these people are way out of my league. And, and what I found was these were super gifted leaders who are really humble, down to earth, approachable, and what I love about the NLT now is when your time is done, you almost don't want to go off. You miss the fellowship, the mm-hmm. friendship, the collaborative work, doing meaningful things together for the kingdom. And, and there's almost this sense of, I don't want to go off necessarily. And that's usually a, a sign of a good team when people are kind of saddened to go off of it. Yeah, that's been a, every time I talk with somebody who did roll off, that's what they say. They go, oh yeah, I miss it. But it's not that people necessarily miss being on the inside of the information or something. They miss the people. And uh, I think that will be true in my case for sure. Yeah. So what are the issues as you're rotating off, as you look down the road towards the challenges that the EPC is facing as one of our national leaders, what do you think is out there down the road for us that you would want people to be thoughtful about? Yeah. A couple of things that are near to my heart, things like leadership development. How do we capture the hearts of Generation Z? wherever they happen to be, whether they're in high school right now or college or about to enter seminary. But we just know seminary enrollments are down everywhere. But how do we get qualified and well-trained pastors into churches that need revitalization? How do we train up and raise more church planters? And we've certainly had those conversations in the national leadership team, but that one issue seems to pervade across all of Mm -hmm. our gospel priorities, effective biblical leadership. That's a key thing because what drives all those things is evangelism and keeping the main thing, the main thing, the first duty of the church in our book of order. I think that's going to take leadership development. It's going to take financial resources, right? which sometimes we in the EPC are a little squeamish about. I've been a church planner, so I'm not squeamish to ask for money. <laughs> that's right. Why is it, do you think, is it a Presbyterian thing? Is it a, an American church thing? Is it just a people thing? Why do you think we're so squeamish about financial resources? I think my answer is twofold. One is practical. One is spiritual. I think the practical reason that resources can be hard for us is 
In our denomination, we honestly have a lot of rural churches in depopulating areas. So you could talk about revitalization in a small town, but when that small town used to be 3,000 people and now it's 1,000 people, then the church is probably not going to grow numerically when the area is depopulating. It's one of the reasons why church planting is important, especially in large major urban areas that continue to grow. But that's just another plug for church planting. I think the second reason that financial resources are so hard is because the commodity that is in shortest supply in American life altogether is trust. Mm. Mm. You could look at any news website, and I preached about this last Sunday, so that's why it's top of my mind. And I think the subtext of half of the news headlines on any given website that you prefer to go to would be some indication of a lack of trust. Trust in the church is at an all-time low. Trust in politicians is at an all-time low. Lord knows with all these artificial intelligence headlines, trust in big tech is at an all-time low. And I just think money is about trust. And Mm. I think that it's hard to get people to buy into our four gospel priorities sometimes when they don't necessarily trust maybe what's going on. And maybe that's a lack of trust out of ignorance. Maybe that's a lack of trust because they got burned in a prior denomination. I would just kind of wonder if that's what's under the surface, but that's the Dave Strunk opinion. I'm not speaking for anybody no, else I, but I, myself. I think that's a brilliant observation, Dave, because, and, you know, in stepping into this job, one of the things that my predecessor, Jeff Jeremiah, used to say to me all the time is, Dean, the EPC has a culture and ethos of trust. And I think it was founded with a culture and ethos of trust. And yet, I don't know that I've been able to put my finger on it, but I feel this tension. And I don't know if that tension's coming from the culture, bleeding into the church, or it's coming from churches that were from outside of the EPC who are coming in and bringing their pain and their hurt and challenges with them. But that feels like a constant tension is trust. Do you trust in your leadership? Do you trust in the Lord to lead? Do you trust that God has a, a plan that's bigger than perhaps your own particular circumstances? I mean, I, I don't know how to put my finger on it, but I think you've nailed something there. And I never equated trust with a hesitancy to be generous in terms of financial resources. But I think you're onto something. Yeah. What could you say by way of encouragement? Because that's one of your spiritual gifts to people that they might trust in the Lord's leading in the church today. At some level, I would just say it's, it's pragmatic. Everyone's lonely. So you might as well stick your oar in with people who are going to love you and pray for you. At least people who in humility say, yeah, I'm not perfect. But also I, if I'm a ruling elder or teaching elder, I can still show up to the meeting and lovingly disagree. And I do think that ethos pervades the EPC. So you could go out there and disagree with everyone and be an atomized individual and just be really, really unhappy. You could get on every social media post and always voice your displeasure. But those people don't look very happy to me. Mm. And I don't want to be so utilitarian to say it's just about happiness because it's not. It's about following Jesus. But there is something that's just very simple about, man, we're lonely. We need each other. And I think the EPC does that just as well as anybody. And part of that's because we tend to be a fairly small denomination still. So we can love each other. We don't have a ton of presbyteries compared to other denominations and even outside of Presbyterianism. So let's stick our oar in together. You know, what, uh, what choice do we have? You've modeled something that I would love to see modeled even more broadly across EPC. And that is, I've seen you disagree with something and stand your ground and really speak your piece without ever being angry 
<laughs> or annoying or attacking. I always tell people the EPC is a place where you can agree to disagree without becoming disagreeable. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen you be disagreeable even when you disagree. What's this, what's the key to that? Um, well, a lot of Brad Strait whooping me metaphorically at when I worked for him. <laughs> I appreciate the <laughs> metaphorical parens there. That's important. Some of the principles he taught me was you should know what you, you should know what you want. You should be prayerful about it. You should try to speak last because I'm a big mm. mouth and I try to speak first and make sure you bless people. If you disagree, just know why you disagree. Cause sometimes I think we disagree because we're contrarian or we're anxious, but we don't actually know the real reason deeper in our souls. Mm. I usually try to explore deep within what am I frustrated about first? Then I take it to the Lord. And then I say, okay, if I still have a substantive agreement or disagreement, then I'm going to, I need to have the courage to say so. And then I might lose a vote and that's okay. I lost. <laughs> what's the, I mean, what's the big deal? All right. Well, I appreciate it. It's as simple as that. If I lost, I lost. No big deal. Yeah. All right. Well, Dave, it's been a delight having you not only in the podcast, but obviously on the national leadership team. And I know we're going to stay connected through the work of the larger church. And I just want to thank you on behalf of all of us for your leadership and your contribution and for being with us here today. Thanks. Well, thanks, Dean, for having me. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, man. I think you heard in Dave's voice today, the culture and the ethos, and in my view, some of the very best of the EPC. And I hope it's a a model that is infectious in all the right ways and that you find that contagious and spreading uh, because we will all be stronger and better for it. And I hope it's a blessing to you and to those with whom um, you have fellowship. So again, friends, don't forget to like us on social, pass the word on to others, uh, tell everyone the good word that in all things, uh, God is sovereign. He reigns over everything supreme. And therefore, as we come together in this venue to have that conversation, it is under his lordship, as we are reminded in Colossians 1, 15 through 18. The scripture tells us that the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You see, he is before all things, my friends. And in him, that is in Jesus, all things hold together, for he is the head of the body, which is the church. Until the next time we gather in this way, my friends, I bid grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us on behalf of Dean and the entire team. We hope you will join us for our next episode of in all things. For more information about the evangelical Presbyterian church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.